That's right. Yeah. So Circa was kind of building their bridge, right? That That's allows so you cool. to, you know, uh, have USDC that sort of minted and burned across these different chains. And so you can send it uh, one another. And then the, you know, the question that we're helping them answer is that how do you use that and how do you build applications around that, right? So by composing it with actual general message passing layer. Um, and so, yeah, you would, you'd be able to have kind of a, a chain agnostic representation of USDC, right? And a chain agnostic representation to interact with all of these different, you know, ecosystem applications uh, with your USDC in one click. Dude, are we going to have chain agnostic stable coins? We're going to have stable chain oh, agnostic stable what? coins. <laughs> That's mind blowing right now. I can't even like fathom how that would work, how that would be represented in a wallet. But that's that's next level. This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Bing X and Angel Block. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up, everyone? What a crazy past week or two it's been, huh? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you are diving deep with me, our guests, uh, to truly understand how this movement came to be. We're really able to, to understand things and to see the products and what's going on under the hood of our industry and tell some good stories really before other people talk about it. I saw yesterday someone said, Oh, did you see about uh, this guy talked about this thing or whatever? And someone said, yeah, they talked about it on Charlie Shrem's show like six months ago. We're, whatever we're talking about now is what your friends in crypto land are going to be talking about in the future. This is groundbreaking stuff. This is, if you think about someone going through a forest, chopping, you know, trailblazing, like creating the trail, these are the trailblazers. Uh, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we have some great guests. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the crypto world between FTX and inflation and, and Binance and all the bankruptcies and, and the centralized platforms, CeFi as we call them. And these are the one thing that they have in common is these are all the dominoes that are falling are places where you physically keep your money, uh, whether it's your crypto or your dollars or your currencies, in order to uh, use certain like products and applications that the crypto world provides. So whether it's like trading coins and tokens or, you know, being involved in a metaverse, unfortunately, a lot of us are, are not keeping the coins on our own devices and our own private keys. We're keeping them at these centralized services who end up doing a lot of crazy things with them. So first, my heart goes out to a lot of folks uh, that have money in these places. I hope things work out. Uh, going back 2014, when Mt. Gox collapsed and I was stuck in that bankruptcy, still it, still am, it's still going on. Um, uh, it sucks, but you all will become, we all will become stronger out of it. Um, my guest today, Sergey, Sergey, thank you. Uh, Sergey Gorbanov, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. How have, um, before I introduce you, uh, how's it been? How are you feeling the past few days? I mean, you run uh, one of the top uh, decentralized financial protocols, uh, what are, are people calling you up and asking you like if you're affected by this? Yeah, no, so first of all, yeah, great to be here. And uh, yeah, kind of a feel, you know, really bad for a lot of the people that, you know, are affected in the last few days. Uh, you know, fortunately, we're not affected um, at Acceler directly, right? You know, we have um, kind of managed our um, burn rate and everything quite well. So, um, but, you know, I think some of our partners might be right. And so I think what, you know, we're trying to do is 
just kind of see if there's anything we can do for them. There's a lot of builders around the network itself. So we're trying to kind of check in on them, see how they're doing. Um, you know, I think this is kind of an opportunity for the, you know, for the strong teams to continue building. And of course, but, um, you know, we have to weather the storm first and we're kind of right in the middle of it right now. We need to come together. This is what's going to, what's, what could happen and what's been happening and what, if we, if we take back historical context, there could be more infighting, tribalism, people saying my blockchain is better than yours and start comparing. We need to not do that. We need to work together. We need to figure out where we went wrong, what happened, accountability, uh, things like that. But at the same time, we need to continue having the conversations that you and I are having today. And we need to bring to light the actual decentralized protocols and a decentralized application. I use this word so many freaking times. Someone told me that they're creating a de- uh, uh, a drinking game as they uh, listen to the show. Every time I say decentralized, they take a shot. But I really want to like heart like get down into this because this is why Satoshi created Bitcoin and why we have crypto today is to further these protocols where no one can reverse our money. No one can freeze it. There's no centralized party that if they go down, all of our money goes down because that's what continues to happen. Um, I want to give a little bit of, I feel like I've been talking a little bit too much. I want to give you, give a little introduction about you. You are an assistant professor at the University of Waterloo. You're the co-founders, uh, one of the co-founders of Axelar. Super, super cool uh, project. Um, you studied, uh, uh, you received a PhD from MIT. Uh, worked with Microsoft and and did a lot of things in in uh, in traditional uh, in the traditional tech world as you would call it. Uh, but then you developed Axelar, which actually continues on the theme that I was talking to my guest yesterday about. And that will probably be my first question to you: is we were talking about how these DApps, or here I go again, decentralized applications, have to not exist on one blockchain. Rather, they have to exist outside and be able to work with all different blockchains and networks and things like that. Uh, is that what Axelar is? Yep. So on the high level, right, we're working towards a what I call is a kind of chain agnostic future, right? Um, you know, from a user perspective, um, the experience of interacting with all of these different ecosystems today is just like completely you know, horrible, right? Like you have to have multiple wallets, pay gas on multiple fees. You have to know how to use, uh, you know, all of these different chains. And, uh, you know, I think to continue growing the space, to continue showing the value with the regular users who have to do better, you know, and user experiences, we have to do better developer experiences, right? And so, you know, Axelar, what we're trying to do is build a network that kind of glues a lot of these different ecosystems together and infrastructure around it. So, yeah, that's the high level. It's really cool if someone goes to axelarscan.io, right? They see mm-hmm. this beautiful, like, it's a gorgeous, uh, like, real-time uh, graphic you have here. It shows Axelar, like, right in the center. And you have how many different, 27 different chains kind of orbiting you. And right. there's just transactions going in and out, in and out. What You have top, one, like, from Polygon to Ethereum to to uh i mean it looks like almost every evm chain cosmos uh every ibc i mean what's what's going on here how is this possible that you i always i mean the belief was that applications decentralized applications exist on top of or inside of a blockchain network mm-hmm. yeah so 
kind of at the at the very core of it, right? Uh, when we started Axelar, you know, um, we had what I call as one of the design principles as being a plug and play connectivity, right? So meaning that every new ecosystem that we can plug into the Axelar protocol should be automatically interoperable with everything else that has been previously connected, right? So it has huge compounding and networking effects. And, uh, you know, that's a, you know, a core objective that we work uh, hard towards. And I think we achieved it, um, you know, for, for a lot of ecosystems today, there's still some work to be done there. But that's why you're seeing this uh, kind of growing graph of connectivity, right? So every chain that's added through the stack allows the protocol to send messages to every other chain that's been previously, you know, interconnected through it. Um, and what that means is that your applications all of a sudden, right, can talk to the users and talk to the applications on other chains, right? So they're not no longer living in an isolated world. Um, they can actually use all this, you know, sort of transportation uh, web that we're creating underneath it to talk with other ecosystems, which I think, you know, is, is, is incredibly, um, yeah, in, incredibly exciting. And, um, you know, I, th I think one thing I'll just kind of mention there before going too deep. You know, I think we talk about CFI, right, and a lot of it, but the reality is that without these types of connectivity and without this type of interoperability, you couldn't build products like FTX, right, like like Binance in a decentralized way previously, right? And I think there's still a lot of infrastructure gaps that are have been missing and are still missing that that would enable to build those experiences. And, you know, to me, that's kind of fundamental that we'll continue working on those. Like what? I mean, like we could zoom out a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Um, our industry is growing market cap applications and services. I think one day we won't even look about the size of our industry based on like the total amount of all coins in existence, because a lot of companies don't have coins anymore. It's not really sometimes, uh, something that you really need to do, especially mm -hmm. when, if you're like in the NFT space and, and things like that, or, or something that you're doing, but I mean, it's just, it's just a world that I never thought would exist. And I'm trying to understand now if we'll ever have a need for, will, will we continue on this path like that we had the last three, four years where you had new chains like four or five, six, seven billion dollar plus chains launching per year? Will we continue to see that? Will it be the end of the launching of the new blockchain? And will we see more protocols like yours just work with the ones that exist? Why would someone, I mean, unless you're like a trucking logistics company and you want your own your own permissioned blockchain for your own, like where one coin represents one truck or something like that. Why would someone launch a new blockchain today? Yeah. So I think fundamentally, um, you know, it all comes down to the questions of, of, of scalability, right? So the reality is that, you know, today web three space and the applications are incredibly small compared to traditional, you know, web two even applications, right? Or databases or websites really? that we're using. Still, like like still what what percentage would you say? Are we still single digits in percentage? I, I think I want to give an idea of how small our applications really are compared to web two. Yeah, I I don't have the percentage definitely single digits, right? Not nowhere close to double digits, you know, in, in terms of developers, right? Um Web three developers, I think we counted in maybe you know ten to twenty thousand, right? Yeah. Um, across across different reports, you know, and web three developers, you're looking at kind of a twenty million to twenty five million, right? Um, so that's uh, sort of web two developers twenty to twenty five million. So that's that's the difference, right? And the same thing in in the activity and the user base. Um, I think we're still like you know a hundred x plus or minus <laughs> uh, from where we need to be just to reach 
kind of at the the traditional application scale. But given the fact that we're working with financial applications, right, that have some of them have monetary value or payments around it or different asset classes like that scope can go way beyond, you know, what the the web two kind of could offer. Um, and the scalability questions are still there, right? Where is it all going to operate? Is it going to operate on a single chain? Is it going to operate on multiple chains? You know, and, and to me, kind of the the, the the computer science answer is that you cannot have a you know a single network or single database to 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 rule them all right um you know even for web2 scale we have multiple databases we have multiple networks that are responsible for managing all these applications behind the scenes um that process you know hundreds of thousands of transactions per second some of them and so for the same level even for the same level of scalability you're going to have to have what's called like resource resource isolation, right? Where certain components need to function in different layers. They have to be isolated from each other. Now, how you achieve this, you know, it's a very great question. And we can kind of talk about it. You can have horizontal scaling. You can have sharding. You can have app chains. You can have, you know, subnets, um, your own chains and things like that. But this kind of horizontal scaling um, kind of paradigm has to be there to continue growing the space, right? And, uh, you know, and, and there, the fundamental question comes in: How do you still keep it connected as you as you isolate it at the same time? So there's a little bit of a kind of balance you have to do. What I mean, what are some? Why is interoperability important beyond like? And we'll talk about like token transferring from one chain in a second. In this, uh, but what I mean, what are some use cases that you see beyond this? Yeah. So very simply, right? Like the goal of interoperability is to enable users to interact with any asset on any application on any chain with one click, right? Now, the traditional way of doing it is like token transfer. You move your tokens around and then you use the application. But that's a horrible UX, right? Uh, yeah. You know, we kind of turn the humans into what I call as manual routers, right? Like you have to say, I go and go from A to B. Oh, give me some gas or fill in some tank, right? To pay a transaction, <laughs> to just use this application. And let me go back and, you know, take my take my own roadshow uh, back to my hometown. So it's just, a, you know, it's a fun activity, but, you know, it's not the activity that can, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, bring regular users into into the space. So then you think about what is what is the better way to build, right? And the better way to build is to have actually applications that can compose with one another and talk to one another that can execute user logic transparently behind the scenes, right? So as an example, you have a token on one chain and you want to take a loan against it in an asset on a different chain. You shouldn't have to move your token around and call three applications to do that and switch between wallets. You should be able to call a transaction, you know, on your source chain and say, this is the loan I want to take. This is my asset. You know, the asset maybe gets locked in the smart contract on that chain. Then certain messages exchange it to other applications or smart contracts on different chain that authorize this loan, maybe do some sanity checks, issue the payment in your asset. It could come in the same chain or a different chain. Um, but this is kind of all behind the scenes and all abstracted away from uh, the, the the movement of information, the movement assets is abstracted away, but you're still the owner of it, right? So you still have the key, you still can trace everything, you still can execute all these transactions. And so, you know, you can build everything from decentralized exchanges that are can operate across all the tokens, across all the ecosystems, right? Uh, something we've been doing with, uh, you know, a lot of the DEXs. Um, you can build, uh, you know, portable NFTs that you can use in different applications on chains. You can build these kind of cross-chain borrowing and lending applications. And then, yeah. you know, beyond that, I think there's an interesting property of actually composing different 
network properties with one another, right? So you have things like IPFS, which is a storage, which can now be actually accessed from a different chain, right? Not necessarily through a front end. That's and I think that gets the key. That's a killer application right there. Let's th- let's yeah. let's talk about that for IPFS is probably the most uh uh would you say it's the the most uh uh technically advanced implementation of like a decentralized file storage system. Yep, for sure. And being able to like access that uh across any blockchain and be able to like where if you're storing data through IPFS, it 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 could be accessed from one from any chain and be not just accessed, but also like called upon and, and conversated mm-hmm. with. Exactly. That's yeah, so exactly. Cool. Right. Like you have this sort of and that's back to your question. Why, why, why would we need new chains? Because sometimes you need chains to solve specific use cases, right? So IPFS, you know, and the, the file coin has been developed to solve the storage use case, right? But how do you keep that layer connected with other chains that maybe some of them have DEXs, you know, maybe some of them have, you know, all these NFT applications uh, in a unified way. And so you need connectivity for that. Um, so um, that's, you know, another use case for why Things like IPFS could not exist in Ethereum, right? Like you could not put, you know, so much storage and have cheap gas costs. You really needed like an optimized layer for the for, for that network. Hey guys, we've been talking about Bing X for the last few months. Super cool social copy trading platform where you can trade all sorts of cryptocurrencies, follow other traders, see their historical uh, uh, averages, how they've been doing, and you know, follow or unfollow different people and all their trades twenty four seven. And what's cool about Bing X, other than the the free money, which I'll talk to in a second that they're offering just to my listeners, but they also offer this super cool strategy that's like a spot grid. And they just launched like last week this, how do I explain it? A really, really cool strategy that now that I understand it, it's called an infinity grid. And it's designed to avoid us missing out on the trending market when the prices start to run high, especially when we're not trading and we're not sleeping. You should go check it out. All the links are, are below. And don't forget, they're also offering a 125 USDT new user reward. So if you're a new user, click the link below, uh, go to Bing X, and you get that free money. And on top of that, if you try out their social uh, uh, trading uh, platform and the different copy trading, if you lose $30, they're actually going to repay you back those $30. All the di- information is below. Check them out. Thank you guys for sponsoring the show. And thanks for my listeners for for helping uh, our sponsors out. Thank you. Yeah, the faster, the usually it's like the, if you have a network that goes really, really fast, you you lose decentralization and you lose security and it's harder to scale. Whereas if you have like, like one block every 10 minutes, kind of going back to Bitcoin, uh, you're potentially a, a, a lot more secure and you have a, a, a much more difficulty in, in creating blocks. So the more, if you create higher difficulty in blocks, because you have a larger decentralized proof of work network. And I'm looking at like, what if we launched a proof of work network that was for like land deeds around the world, uh, title deeds of like a, a of like property. And essentially this blockchain only updated once a day and everyone was involved in the block reward. And you could, you could mine this from a little raspberry Pi because the difficulty is so high. Uh, what could be cool is if that blockchain, let's just say it wasn't, let's just say there was the technical ability to have, uh, 
that blockchain uh, ha- be interoperable with something like Ethereum that's a lot faster, you could have like title deeds, but then you have it work with, you know, a real estate blockchain type of type of situation. Now, all these blockchains could work together that do different things. You have the insurance yeah. blockchain. You have all these different things. Yeah. And, you know, you don't need a blockchain for every use case, right? I think it's, you know, for some use cases, like, especially if you're still trying to find like what I call like as a product market fit, right? Like maybe you should go and build, you know, in a shared environment where you have access to many users and the developer experience is very, very simple for you, right? You can build on Solana, Near, you know, Algorand, whatever, whatever you like, find some product market fit, find some validation, right? Um, but I think often we see in products that do have, you know, product market fit, they need like a specialized consensus to scale for them, right? Or they need ability to customize consensus. We saw this, for instance, with DYDX, right, recently, where yeah. they've been building around Ethereum and Starkware, and then like, okay, we really have to customize these rules for the for the consensus behind our chain, and so let's go and launch on Cosmos, right? And I think we're going to see that more and more as as these use cases, you know, find product market fit. So I do think there's going to be kind of hubs of of activity, but there's also going to be, you know, this app chains, you know, rollups, whatever you want to call them around it. Yeah, we've been talking about ZK rollups on, on past episodes. We've been talking about like why the benefits of joining the Cosmos ecosystem because of the uh, IBC, you know, it was the IBC, the inter-blockchain, in inter-blockchain connectivity, uh, which I, fa- I just realized, I found out last week that the IBC was developed by the same person or people that developed Cosmos, but the IBC is actually something separate. I didn't realize that, which is which is really cool, actually. But um, are there anyone? La- is there anyone? Are there any blockchains that are launching or have launched that you've looked at that are like not interoperable? That are like choosing, and you don't have to like come up with specific names. But I'm just wondering if there is anything out there that's like choosing to not be interoperable with other chains. Um, yeah. So thankfully, you know, haven't come up with that uh, with last of this year because. <laughs> You know, frankly, I think, you know, if you're launching a chain then you're going to, you know, your value proposition to your developers is going to be, you know, we're going to be isolated, right? But maybe we're secure and maybe we're fast, but we're, you're going to live in our, our own world. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's a very strong value proposition to developers these days. Like when they choose an ecosystem, right, they have to know that, you know, they can rely on it, relying on it, meaning like there is speed, there is gas efficiency, and there's kind of connectivity and liquidity that, that they can tap into it. So it is definitely one of the requirements for all these layer ones going forward, I think. So if I'm if I'm uh, uh, going back to like we talked about CFI, if I'm on CFI and I'm uh, and I have like USDC on Ethereum and I want to change it over to like uh, USDT on Polygon or USDT on Binance Chain, you traditionally would have to go to like these big CFI companies, deposit your money, and essentially they have like pools of all these other tokens uh, and they can transfer you and they charge you a fee. And that's traditionally what everyone goes there to do. But one of the products that you're developing, and it's really cool here, uh, if you go to satellite.money and it's satellite powered by Axelar, it, it looks like a CFI user interface. It's beautiful. It looks good. It seems intuitive. Very easy to use and understand. My grandma can use it. She uses crypto. It's not hard. Um, but what is going on here that's different than what goes on in CFI? Yeah, so the basic um, 
you know, point is that the Axel network connects all these different blockchain ecosystems and it can send messages across them, right? And one type of message is a token transfer message, right? So for instance, if you have, you know, a USDC on one chain and you want to receive a USDC on another chain, how can you do this without having to go through, you know, a centralized kind of a front end? And so Axel network and its message passing layer can enable you to do that, right? And so the satellite is you know, an example of an application that was built on top of the network, and there's like many others that are that have been built that allows you to go and um, you know use this message passing layer and token transfer layer to move your assets around, right? Um, and uh, you know, and additionally, we have integrations with different dexes, like so, for instance, Osmosis, right, which is a Cosmos um, decentralized exchange, connects through the network API. That allows you to directly like deposit things like your USDC from Ethereum, even from a centralized exchange, with one click by sending it to the special address and like appearing it on Osmosis, then trading it for other you know coins of other chains like um, you know ETH or anything from you know Polkadot ecosystem or everything yeah. else has been interconnected, um, and that's it, right? And like you have you're still the owner of all these assets in the process, right? Because you are. You know, simply sending messages from one chain to another, and the protocol allows you to facilitate this um, information exchange in some sense uh, between these blockchains. Um, you know, in the simple use cases, of course, like liquidity transfer that um, you know many applications are instantiating. How's it like right now running a company in this in this bear market? It's uh, entertaining. This, right? <laughs> Would you say entertaining? You know? It's a, it's one of those things where you have to keep your you know your your hands very cool, right? And, and uh, you know stay calm, I think, and continue building, right? I think as I you know as we say to our partners and the, to the team, um, always you know like we 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 just have to build better infrastructure to yeah. enable the types of use cases, like I said, like FTX, like you know like Binance, being built on top of open decentralized systems, so we don't have issues like that. Right. And uh, like I said, like two years, even today, I think it would be hard to build the whole, you know, FTX infrastructure on a decentralized platform. So we have to do we have to do better. Um, the chains have to do better. You know, interoperability has to do better. But, uh, you know, I think that's that's an important problem that we have to solve. And then we'll be able to take all those use cases. We'll be able to power them in an open, you know, transparent and permissionless way. So I think just important in these times to stay focus to what you're really trying to do here, right? For the long term, continue building, really understanding what the yeah. issues are, um, you know, and um, staying focused as a team. How do you know? I mean, how do you know what your customers want? How do we know? How do we know what the future crypto users will want to grow our industry? How do we build products of the future? And I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, it's hard to like sometimes see the forest through the trees, if you will, and to like continue on your roadmap, especially if it's a long-term one, right? So I think how do we know it's sort of a combination of uh, you know reactive feedback from the teams that are building, right, and understanding some of the problems, but also you know frankly sometimes trying to understand where the industry needs to go, right? And, you know I think some of us are. Um, you know, the ones that are building the protocols, we have to understand this is how the ideal experience should look like, right? And then kind of go back and say, okay, here are the milestones to get there. Here are the building blocks to get there, right? You need fast consensus. You need, you know, interoperability. You need, um, you know, security. You need um, interaction across these chains. 
and then you know breaking down and like executing on some of those components so um yeah i mean i think you know strong builders in the space kind of have a have a gut feeling right for some of these components are and i think it always gets augmented with um the user feedback and the user demand um you know as of today and the kind of short term uh goals and uh, you know you, you're trying to craft the roadmap right yeah. to, to kind of align those those two things I like I like building when there's extreme fear like this, like extreme, extreme fear to a point where I haven't really built anything in a few years and it makes me want to get back into it. What what would you like to see built? I, I don't want to get back into, I don't want to develop another new blockchain or protocol or try to like, uh, there are some brilliant brains like yourself out there that are on the forefront of doing that. But what else would you like to see built? What support type of, mechanisms would you like to see people build applications that interface with customers more instead of you having to deal with it uh and i guess it's not really a question that it's more it's it's more like a theoretical question to our hypothetical question i mean so one thing that you know i've been kind of spending a little bit of time thinking through is just like the, the messaging layer right across different chains so like the the, ba- the basic you know fundamental problem that i think we're we have is that we have uh, Web three systems that talk that have kind of contracts with one another, but then the way all the customers of all these applications are reached and communicate is through Twitter, right? <laughs> Which is like its own ecosystem, its own yeah. world, and like you know, a protocol has an upgrade. What do you do? Oh, you should put an announcement on Twitter, right? And like you want to tell something to your customers. What do you do? Oh, you got to go put an announcement Twitter. on Twitter, and I want to talk to another user in the space. What do I do? Oh, I have to go and like you know, DM the user. So. Yeah, one of the things that I think I, I started to kind of just brainstorm a little bit with a couple, you know, different folks is like, what does the messaging need to look like as a building block, right, across all these environments that is composable with all the other rails that we're building, that's composable with things like token transfers, right, but it's composable with things yeah. like, you know, contract calls where um, people can talk to one another directly, you know, you can have... Um, Applications that can notify its users or users, you know, send messages to the applications, include like payment details and things like that. So, um, you know, making that very, very simple to use as a building block, you know, something I would like to see being built. That could be, that's the, la- that's the layer that's missing. We have to go to social networks, even like the, if you're holding on to an NFT or a token, how cool would it be as if like the creator of that had a way to communicate with you as like a loyal fan or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would love to see something like that be built at the same time. What's on the roadmap for you guys though? Yeah, no, for us, uh, uh, quite a few things. So definitely, you know, have a very deep roadmap on the chain integrations, right? So, you know, 27 and now, but like the demand for integrations across chains keeps on growing. Um, so we you know recently announced like partnerships with like sweet uh right blockchain um and um you know we're working on integration with aptos and kind of a many other many other chains so that's one and second of all kind of going back and yeah understanding what are these building blocks or what are the are the primitives that are needed for the ecosystem to solve so we announced uh, you know partnership with uh, circle for trying to compose uh, oh, cool. usdc with um, kind of general message passing to use that as a building block and we'll call it like composable USDC. Um, so you can use that as a, you know, liquidity routing asset across different blockchains. Um, and so things like that is kind of a understanding. What do you mean? What the... Let's uh, explain to me, like, what, what do you mean? That's so cool. So like yeah. the, the, how I actually hold and spend money could change. 
So I think, uh, you know, how how DeFi applications are instantiated could change, right? So kind of a basic basic problem like, uh, you know, you want to exchange, let's say, AvaX for ETH, right? Kind of how can you do this today in a, you know, um, you can go to a centralized exchange, okay, you know, you take all the risk there. Um, how can you do it with one click from Avalanche blockchain, right? And so the, the basic idea is that you can use things like uh, stable coins as the routing assets across them, right? So you could swap oh. your AvaX for USDC. You can route, you know, uh, USDC um, to another application on the, on Ethereum chain and then swap that USDC for Ether, right? And doing all of that in one click in transparent and a secure way, you know, is something um, that we're working on with, uh, you know, Circle and uh, USDC integration where you can make one call from an application, right, that says I want to swap X for Y and using the USDC as a routing asset to potentially facilitate that swap if needed. I wanted to give a super good congratulations to our amazing sponsor, AngelBlock, on the launch of the AngelBlock protocol. Congratulations, guys. I know it's a long time coming. Um, it's hard work, especially building in a bear market. And we've been talking about AngelBlock for a while. But for those who don't know, uh, if you're a, a crypto investor, the AngelBlock protocol allows for non-custodial and on-chain fundraising, transparent vesting, and automated token distribution. You could invest in startups, DAOs, protocols, multiple chains, agnostics, all these different things, but with increased security, post-raise governance, which for me is huge, milestones for funding, regulatory compliance, on-chain transparency. Now on the other side, if you're a startup, you wanna be on the other side of that because they can help you build out all of your technologies from your NFTs to your tokens. They have a huge community that everyone loves to be a part of, uh, receive advisory and mentoring, legal, strategic, technical operations support, access to cap table management. I mean, this is the Web3 version of how fundraising and investing will take place. Angel Block Protocol, thank you guys for supporting my show and I hope you guys enjoy. To use USDC as an example, if I'm holding USDC right now on one blockchain, on Ethereum, and someone else is holding USDC on Tron, for example, or I don't know if Tron's, if Tron, do you, can you incorporate with Tron? Is that an EVM chain? Uh, we don't support it yet, so I'm not Okay, not so sure, let's not use that. Let's, say let's just say on Polygon, on or, Polygon yeah. right? You're saying that USDC on a, has their own almost like, like Circle maintains the USDC protocol that they have a way that all USDC can talk to each other. It doesn't matter what chain they're on. That's right. Yeah. So Circle is kind of building their bridge, right? That That's allows so you cool. to, you know, uh, have USDC that sort of minted and burned across these different chains. And so you can send it uh, one another. And then the, you know, the question that we're helping them answer is that how do you use that and how do you build applications around that, right? So by composing it with actual general message passing layer. Um, and so, yeah, you would, you'd be able to have kind of a, a chain agnostic representation of USDC, right? And a chain agnostic representation to interact with all of these different, you know, ecosystem applications uh, with your USDC in one click. Dude, are we going to have chain agnostic stable coins? We're going to have statement chain agnostic oh, stable what? <laughs> That's mind-blowing right now. I can't even like fathom how that would work, how that would be represented in a wallet. But that's, that's next level. That's really next level stuff. Yeah, for sure. I actually want to like title the show 
chain agnostic stable coins. And we're going like, nice. to use that part in the beginning of the show or whatever. But that's like a future product that I could totally see having epic application in the real world. Because like you said, oh man, imagine, I mean, the, the opportunities in the, of what you can do just on a financial, just forget financials, but just other types of products that can exist on chain. Uh, it's really cool. You, the, I, I want to kind of like wrap the the show up in, in, in bringing it back to like you as a person a little bit, like we did in the beginning. A lot of my listeners on the show are always wondering like what the next step is, how to get started, how to like jump into the industry. You actually started at Algorand and you worked there and you, you, you ran things there for a while. Is it true that you learned a lot of lessons and experience that without that you wouldn't have been able to start your company now? Um, yeah, definitely a lot of learnings, uh, you know, from it, I think, uh, yeah, to me kind of, a what, what, what makes me, you know, excited and what I like doing in general is just kind of start doing things right. Whether or not it's, you know, at Algrand or previously, uh, you know, various, uh, you know, initiatives that I did, like start coding, right. Like, I think like there are, you know, a hundred, uh, you know, excuses you can do. Right. Uh, but like, I think just starting to do something and then learning from it to me is always uh, kind of the best way, you know, if you want to start the project, you know, you don't need to have that much, right? You can start, you know, on the evenings or weekends and kind of start coding, start talking to the customers, kind of getting feedback from it. Um, yeah. And, you know, of course, working with other companies, um, you know, helps seeing how other people kind of think, um, you know, helps along the way. Um, but at least my style is just, just start doing right. I think. <laughs> that's, Here's that's a question right. I actually have for you. That's personal. Uh, if I'm not a developer, uh, myself, where's a good place for me to team up with a good, because you can't just go to like Fiverr or Upwork and like type in what you want built. You need to like engage with someone and, and architect something out first and then build it. Where, where could someone like me go to do that? So I think a great place actually to start is like various like hackathons or meetups around, you know, different ecosystems that have been built. Right. So, you know, at Axelo, we host constantly either online, like hackathons or, you know, in-person meetups where both developers and non-developers kind of come together and talk about their problems, right? So, you know, I think, um, you know, to me, you know, even if you're, you know, not a developer, there's a lot of value you can add. You, you still have to be sort of analytical, right? And you have to be thoughtful about it. So if you're solving a problem, you know, how do you kind of quantify this problem? How do you think about it? Like, what is the, you know, product could look like, even if you don't, you know, write any code, um, you do have to think through those things. But I think, you know, going to a hackathon, going to a meetup, um, we're actually going to be organizing, you know, a conference in February. It's called Introp Summit uh, in Miami, actually. So, you know, that's a great, that will be a great place to to come in as well, because we'll have builders and non-builders from all over the ecosystem kind of talk about um, how to get started and how to build. You, uh, you're a professor at the University of Waterloo. Is it the same University of Waterloo that Vitalik studied at, the creator it's of Ethereum? The same university, that's right. Does the school, like... Talk about that? Are they like proud of that at all? Um, they definitely talk. I mean, I think Vitalik like dropped out. I don't know after oh, yeah. you know a couple <laughs> semesters. So, <laughs> you know, he <laughs> didn't get into the end school. But you know, I, I'm matter. sure at this. I'm sure at this point he can get an honorary degree or something if he really wishes. <laughs> he tried. That's yeah, right. He tried, um, and that's what. What's it like? Do you enjoy doing that? I mean, yeah, I've been on Lyft for for a bit, right? Just to focus in on the companies. But I, I think, kind of, to your point, I think one of the 
uh, yeah, I think keep features of Waterloo is uh, kind of their IP policy, right? And like encouraging entrepreneurship. And I think it's actually the only place in, uh, you know, North America that allows like the owners of a creation to fully own the IP and do whatever the heck they want with it, right? They, they, there is nothing, no constraints from a u- university or dependencies. Yeah, we've seen that in the past, like where someone started a company in their like college dorm room and then the university tried to take the equity from that or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it happened, you know, over and over, right? I think like Starkware had some 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 issues around it. Uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, University of Waterloo is just incredible uh, in that perspective. And I think that, you know, that resulted in a number of companies. Along All the right. Way. I, re- I appreciate the time today. You taught me a lot about, uh, well, first, chain agnostic stablecoins, mind-blowing stuff. But, you know, the importance of scaling horizontally, uh, interoperability, uh, we talked about some some really good subjects today. So so Sergey, thank you, and and I'm really excited um, to see what you're going to be up to in the next six months to a year. If my listeners want to like jump into your hackathons, your communities, they like what you're doing, they like the vibe. Where can they go? I mean, I think a great place to start is just go to our website, you know, axel.network. Uh, from there, you can find links to like Discord, to our Twitter. Right, it's at Axel Accor. Uh, we constantly post like video upgrades, tutorials, um, you know, that are, that are linked through it. And um, yeah, like check out the Interop Summit that will be happening at the end of February in Miami, like I said. Um, and we're probably going to have like various hackathons, you know, leading to it or or around it. Would you say it's the Interop Summit in Miami? Yeah, interopsummit.com. Ooh, so you can go to I want to go to this. This looks cool. Well, I'll have the links to that. And I appreciate you taking the time and coming on Untold Stories today. And I'll talk to you later. Thanks so much for having me.